0: Too late, all a sooner or later comes down the fake. I might as well be the one. Well, they showed you a statue, told you to pray. They built you temple and locked you away. but they never told you the price that you pay for things that you might have done. Only the good guys. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Michael Walden. Welcome to Ask the Blood Detective. What I thought I would do on today's show is answer some of those questions that I get from so many of you uh, by telephone and also email, because they really represent some of the most important concepts in holistic healthcare and in health management, disease prevention, and also, I believe, will help us cut through a lot of the confusion regarding what's really true in terms of what natural medicine can do, and specifically about some of the things that we're hearing in the, uh, in the media lately, like intermittent fasting, for example, and or CBD oil and the and like. So let me start with those two things. And we're going to hit on a lot of topics, so there's something for everyone here. So let's talk about the concept of fasting. Well, first of all, fasting by definition means reducing caloric intake. And as many of you know that have done fasting before, fasting can involve just water or it can involve involve certain juices. It may involve the use of vegetable juices, for example, uh, with several hours of not eating or even several days of not eating. So the first thing we've got to understand about fasting is that there's different ways of fasting for different health problems. But more importantly than the different health problems is how fasting must be tailored to the individual given their biochemistry and their actual needs. Now, having been in the natural healthcare field for over 30 years, I've seen just about anything. I've seen people that have come to see me after trying various fasts for decades even, but they still have their health problems. So first of all, if fasting is right for you, It has to be based on what you're trying to accomplish during the fast. If you're trying to lose weight, well, just about any fast will have you lose several pounds of weight. But most of that weight is water weight, which means it comes right back on within days or a few short weeks after the fast. So I think we have to first recognize that fasting has to be put together for what your health condition is or what your health conditions are. And if you're trying to fast to stimulate, let's say, your lymphatic system versus your liver or versus your kidneys, the health practitioner that you work with has to know something about how those organs work. For example, if you want to take stress off the kidneys, and this is a generalization, by the way, but if you wanted to take stress off the kidneys, you would reduce your intake of animal protein. So you would have a fast that would contain little or absolutely no animal protein, but might actually have plant-based protein in the morning. And the reason you'd want plant-based protein is because it's far easier on the kidneys. Not only that, but to help your kidneys last longer or to try to have your kidneys come back from a certain amount of what's known as renal failure, you want to use plant proteins. And you'd want to have them in the morning because after several hours of fasting, you lose lean body mass your body starts to burn your lean tissue which are your organs and your muscle and if you lose lean organ and muscle you're losing health in fact the measurement of lean body mass is one of the best measurements if not the best measurement of your potential health span and disease risk so there's a test called the bioimpedance test i've mentioned it on my shows before that can measure lean body mass versus water weight and fat mass no matter what fasting you do folks no matter how much cbd oil you consume no matter how much vitamin c you take in or if you have a vegan or plant-based diet if you're not increasing your lean organ mass you are not increasing your health span now you may or may not be increasing your lifespan but i know most of you are thinking well i'm much more concerned about the quality of my life well if you are whatever it is you do, I don't care if it's meditating on a hill or sucking air all day long or only using the sun for your calories, which I don't recommend, you must, must, must increase your mass. I could speak for hours of the different types of fasts depending on what organs we would want to focus on based upon your health history, your health goals, and your chemistries, like your blood work. That's how you figure these things out. So most of the people that I see are pretty much wasting their time with these short fasts without having a long-term plan of some sort of repetition of the fast or some sort of a protocol that has the health potential of the fast happen. And the only way that's going to work is if you have a long-term plan, not some weekend warrior detox or intermittent fasting. It simply is not going to help you, except for making you feel good about yourself that you did it in the short term. How do I know this? For over 30 years, I've worked with patients on this. I've looked at their blood work and other chemistries, and they're not any better with these short fasts, ever. It's only a long-term plan, like any long-term health plan. That's what builds up health. So let's change the topic for a moment, and let's speak about CBD oil, because Everyone out there obviously has heard of CBD oil. It's some of the most brilliant marketing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's, it's such a phenomenon. So the long and short of it is this. Does CBD oil have health benefits? Yes, potentially. But the amount of CBD oil needs to be pretty high relative to the person, much higher than the doses suggested on the containers of CBD oil. The dose of CBD oil, or the dose of any nutrient by the way, or herb, should be based on your lean body mass again, and your metabolic rate. Your metabolic rate and lean mass is certainly different than mine is, which may be different than a 300 pound woman or a 250 pound man. So most people are dosing incorrectly, and other than them seemingly feeling better, which by the way is not enough, They are only, it's only a psychological boost. If you take the right dose of CBD oil over time, and that dose should be based on lean body mass, you do have a shot at improving your health. And of course, depending on the health problem, you have more or less of an impact. So let's talk about cancer and CBD oil for a moment. There are studies with the use of CBD oil in cancer, and many of them are actually favorable. But most individuals that I meet, when I give my talks for example, or come to me as a patient, they actually believe that these tiny little doses that they take each day are gonna kill their cancer cells. I've seen this also on some of the cancer groups that I've looked at on Facebook. Um, I have a Facebook group known as Ask the Blood Detective and I have people contributing to me from all of these different groups. And I see some really dangerous and ridiculous statements like, CBD oil is gonna cure everything under the sun. It's not gonna happen. It's not going to happen. After the first month of you feeling better on CBD oil, the placebo effect will wear off and then you will see that your, your health issues are probably still there unless they were the sort of health issues that may have been caused from, let's say, anxiety and CBD oil can certainly help anxiety and those problems may go away. In other individuals, you're going to need CBD oil and a whole host of other nutritional synergists to help whatever health problem you, you have. So I use the example of cancer. Um, When I work with a patient with cancer, there are no less than about 50 different nutrients that that person's going to get. It may be in a powdered form so they can drink it, otherwise they wouldn't have a shot in being able to be successful. So I might have CBD oil as part of that plan if CBD oil is in the top 50 or so scientifically researched to show positive benefit in cancer or rheumatoid arthritis or eczema or anxiety, or depression, or heart disease, or diabetes, or metabolic syndrome, or hypertension. But if you're gonna think that one supplement, or just a couple of supplements are gonna do it for you, that's not usually how natural medicine works. So let me move on to another question that many of you ask, and this is so fundamental. Many of you call me, and you go on and on about your health issues, and how you've seen everyone, you had every test under the sun done. And then I ask you, okay, Has anyone ever done a test of absorption? Have you checked your absorption capability or potential? And the answer is always silence on the phone or no. Any healthcare provider that is not checking your absorption should retire. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Remember I've said in other shows, you are not what you eat. You are what you absorb. And you're also the consequences of what you do not absorb. So very, very important to test your absorption because if you're malabsorbing, that means not absorbing well, let's say 50%, then your dosing of foods and juicing and how you do your fasts and your dose of CBD oil and other nutrients must be adjusted. Plus, we need to focus on fixing the reason or the reasons why you're malabsorbing. Make sense? Simple urine test tells us that. And there are some other blood tests of malabsorption that might be chosen It may be best for you depending upon your health concerns. Okay, the next question I hear a lot is something like this. I'll get an email I'll say, Dr. Wald, I've been trying to become alkaline. I know that alkaline is best. I'm eating an alkaline diet. How come I'm not better? I was better for a little while or somewhat better. So what's up? Well, the first thing is I would ask that person, how do you know that you were becoming alkaline. And the best answer I usually receive is someone saying, well, I measure the pH, the acid-base balance of my urine. So if that's how you're trying to figure out if your body's alkaline, you're wasting your time. The urine might be alkaline because your blood is on the acid side because it's lost all the alkaline stuff in your urine. Get it? On the other hand, You might be spewing all of these alkaline elements out into your urine and your blood still might be alkaline because it wasn't successful getting rid of the excess alkaline. Yep, I said it. Excess alkaline. You can be too alkaline in your blood. Depending on your health concern, you want your blood pH to be between 7.45 and a low of 7.35 or an average pH of 7.4 unless unless, it's important you hear this, let's say you have cancer or some condition associated with hyperacidity like diabetes in the blood. You probably would want your blood pH not to be on the upper end of normal, but actually abnormal on the upper end to make you more alkaline than normal to to try to reverse some of the acidic damage that has happened from, let's say, a condition like um, diabetic ketoacidosis or respiratory acidosis or any other condition that causes excessive acid. Now, the blood will never be acid per se. It will just have a pH that's on the low end of 7, maybe 7.2, 7.15. Keeping in mind, everyone, that on a scale of 0 to 14 for pH, 7 is neutral. 7.45 is where most of the population is in terms of pH. So if you're anything less than 7.30 or higher than 7.45, there's something wrong. Unless you were increased or decreased in your pH, either with medications, nutrients, or foods for some specific reason. And that's probably a short term fix. So what affects your pH? Can you just, you know, let's assume you are low in pH on the acid side. Will eating alkaline foods make you more alkaline in your blood? Almost never. And many of my colleagues uh, in this area agree with me. It could take a person years of alkaline juicing to shift their pH, just a small amount in the alkaline side, where the right nutritional supplementation and other natural compounds can do it a lot faster. So what I'm saying here in summary is, no matter what your health problem is, you want to know what your blood pH is. And you want the appropriate foods and nutritional supplements and lifestyle factors and breathing uh, techniques so that we can help your blood pH move where it should move, either higher or lower. But no, if you eat alkaline foods like vegetables, that will not make your blood alkaline. What happens is, you eat those foods, they're digested in your stomach with stomach acid, and then they are uh, partially digested if they're plant foods. Fiber, obviously, is not digested. Then that food is moved towards your small intestine where it's acted upon by protein, starch, and fat-digesting enzymes, and it's broken down, and whatever nutrition can be extracted is therefore then absorbed. Ultimately, the body and all its organs will adjust itself for a pH between 7.35 to 7.45, like I said earlier. If you want to know more about pH, go to my website at intmedny.com or drmichaelwall.com. Look at the blog section. You'll find all the radio shows. Just click on the titles and look for the one called pH Lies. Also look for one called "A uh, Detox Deception, which just dismantles all the lies you hear in natural medicine about the proper way to detox. The next question I get a lot is, what are the best vitamins I should take? I mean, that seems on the surface to be a reasonable question, right? Well, it's not. (laughs) That is because, think of it this way. Let's say you lined your whole family up and your extended family up in a line. And then you ask the question, what are the best nutrients for all of these different people? I think you understand now that probably each of these individuals might need completely different nutrition down the line. Let's say there's 50 people. There may be some things that they need in common, and, but if they do, the dosing is probably very, very different. So how do you know what nutrients you need? Well, this is how I do it after 30 years of blood detective work. First, I take a very detailed health and medical history. Then I do a nutritional visual exam where I look at the patient and I say, well, do they have thinning hair? Could that mean protein deficiency? Could that mean autoimmunity? Could that mean malabsorption? Could that mean simply genetics? Do they have uh, little bumps on the back of their arms, which might mean hypothyroid or deficiency of zinc or vitamin A? Does the person's nails or do the person's nails have white spots which may have to do with protein or zinc deficiency? Do they have a diagonal crease on their earlobe, which is very predictive of heart attack? And the list goes on and on. And again, I have a series of three or four lectures up on my blog at drmichaelwall.com called Diseases That You Can See in the Mirror. Something that you probably wanna take a look at. So the answer to the question, what nutrients do you need, are based on in medical and health history of visual exam, a look at the lab work, laboratory work that you may have had done in the last year, additional laboratory work like malabsorption tests, tests of body composition and metabolic rate, and some of those, and pH like I just mentioned. I'll, and I'll be mentioning other types of tests as we move on. And then there's of course the experience of a healthcare provider. So I've been doing this work around 31 years and I've learned a few things about what people's needs are. I put all of those things together in a blood detective format plus questionnaires, and that's how you figure it out. Not a couple of mild or moderate symptoms that you might have and then you heard on the internet that you should be taking this or that. That's almost never going to work beyond symptom improvement, but acting like a Band-Aid. And remember, in natural medicine, we're always saying, oh, we don't want to use drugs or we don't want to use drugs too much because they act as Band-Aids. They don't fix the problem. Well, nutrients are often used in the very same way. I get lots of questions about brain health, whether it's dementia or anxiety or depression or other neurologic disorders like migraines, which cause placking in the brain, which are dead spots in the brain, multiple sclerosis, seizures, and Parkinson's disease, uh, just to name a few. And there are some common nutrients that are required for all of those health problems, anything that involves the brain, because... The brain has certain nutritional requirements, and if they're not there, and depending on genetics and lifestyle factors, a person may have any one of those health conditions, ranging from anxiety to depression to uh, dementia, because they have the same nutrient deficiency. So for example, most of the fats in the brain are composed of what are called docosahexaenoic acid, which is DHA. DHA, you've heard of, it's part of the EPA DHA fish oil, but the brain is mostly DHA. So that's what I would focus on nutritionally for all of those health problems. In addition to GABA. GABA, or G-A-B-A, gamma aminobutyric acid, is an inhibitory relaxing neurotransmitter required to help the brain work better. I might also use a comprehensive amino acid formula because amino acids are required to make neurotransmitters in the brain and neurotransmitters are chemicals that allow thoughts, feelings, and emotions and proper neurologic health uh, to happen. And like a lot of topics that we're just touching on today, I can go on for a long time describing to you the various nutrients that the brain requires to repair itself. And the repair process in the the nervous system, in the brain and the spinal cord is known as neuroplasticity neuroplasticity is the term that describes the nervous system and brain's ability to repair itself if it's got the right nutrition. What about autoimmune disease? So I get lots of questions about multiple sclerosis, lupus, scleroderma, Sjogren's disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, Graves' disease, rheumatoid arthritis. These are just a few of the autoimmune diseases. Before I talk about those, let me just... Make a quick announcement to those just joining us. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. If you want to reach me to do different show topics, uh, something that you think would be interesting to the general population listening to the show, please email me at info at blooddetective.com. Info at blooddetective.com. You can also go to my website at drmichaelwald.com or y.com. So first of all, let's start off with a brief definition of autoimmune disease. Basically what autoimmune disease is, is that the body's breaking down in a particular way because your immune system believes that whatever part of the body or parts of the body that are breaking down, it thinks that they're foreign. So for example, if you have autoimmune thyroid disease called Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, that means that part of your immune system is attacking the thyroid, breaking it down so it doesn't look normal. And then because it doesn't look normal, your immune system says, hey, you don't look normal. So it goes after that tissue even more, creating this vicious cycle of autoimmune attack. Does that make sense? Good. The first thing you should know is the way to reduce autoimmune disease is this. You must use nutrition to build up the tissues in question like the thyroid or maybe the autoimmunity is against the heart or blood vessels or maybe the autoimmunity is against the kidneys or the joints. Whatever the body tissues are, you need general nutrition for the whole body and then you need nutrition that's absorbed and utilized under the right pH and based on the right dosing, based on a body composition test to build up the tissues faster than they're breaking down regeneration, which is a good thing, only happens if you exceed the degeneration by regenerating the tissues. If the tissues look more like normal tissues, then they're good. But if they don't look like normal tissues, that will trigger the vicious cycle of autoimmunity. So again, I've been on these chat groups, just looking at what people are saying, and someone will say, oh, don't worry about that autoimmune disease. All you need to do is take CBD oil or all you need to, need to do is have apple cider vinegar. These are uh, harmful comments. They're ridiculous comments. They're completely untrue. Now having said that, I have no doubt that someone out there is gonna email me and say, no, I got cured just like that. Okay, there are exceptions to every rule or you may think you're cured and you may not be. So I don't know, I can't speak to your individual needs But I can tell you from 31 years of working with a lot of autoimmune disease, myself having been diagnosed with the autoimmune disease multiple sclerosis, I can tell you that most people are completely wasting their time. They're thinking far too simplistically. But even when you get it right, folks, and you know the right nutrition for your health concerns, you need to know the right doses. You need to know when to take those supplements. And really key, you must, must, must take Pharmaceutical-grade supplementation. Some of you are thinking, well, no, I know my supplements are good. And I would ask you, how do you know that? How do you know that your supplements are good beyond what you heard from the company or online? Or a friend, maybe? That's not evidence. Evidence is, you call the company and you say, will you please send me a full disclosure label of the supplements that I want to take from your company? So, what a full disclosure label is, it's a third-party assay of what is in the nutrient in question or the, the supplement in question. What's the quality and what contaminants does it have? Does it have fungal organisms? Does it have heavy metals? If they say to you, we don't know what you're talking about, what a full disclosure label is, there's your, there's your answer. And also, if they say, sure, we'll send you that and they never do, there's, there's your answer as well. So you need to go to a healthcare provider and trust them uh, that they have done their due diligence and research and they know the best supplements for you. That's the only way you can know. Some of you will forget I'm saying this and will still just get store-bought supplements and will compare the labels and say, well, my practitioner said to take this supplement which has you know 100 milligrams of magnesium and this other one that I want to take has 100 milligrams of magnesium so they're the same. First of all, they may be different forms of magnesium. Secondly, if you're taking a non-pharmaceutical grade supplement, that supplement may not even have magnesium in it at all. That's right. The New York State Attorney General's office a few years back did research on like something like 50 or so supplements, don't quote me on that, that are in stores, and found that none of them had everything they said on the label. Some of them didn't have anything of what they said that the label contained. This was also in the New York Times, uh, and the article title was, What's in Those Supplements? To which I wrote a, a. Uh, actually I sent in an audio show, which also reviewed the problems with store-bought supplements. You can listen to that on the blog section of my site. I'll give you the site again. It's at uh, www.intmedny.com or drmichaelwald.com. Look under the blog section. Okay. The next question. This is a good one. People say to me, Dr. Wald, what's the best food for me to eat? Okay. Without beating around the bush, if I had to choose for you right now how to eat, I would say it's a plant-based diet fundamentally, but that's just not going to cut it for some of you. Some of you need heavy-duty protein for different health problems and that may need to come from animal sources, which, of course, we want to have free range. Some of you might argue and say, well, no, our ancestors just ate plants. Well, it is true that they just discovered the newest uh, hominoid, the oldest one. This was a few years ago. And don't quote me on this, but I think it's like 7 million years old. And they didn't just find one whole like skeletal body. They found hundreds of uh, of, of these bodies. And when they examined the teeth of this oldest human being, they found that there was evidence of only plant-based diet. Now, that doesn't prove that we should be eating a plant-based diet now, but those there are some people out there that think very ignorantly, and uh, honestly, it's just not intelligently, to think that because our ancestors ate a certain way that we should be eating that way. It's as ridiculous as someone saying that because colostrum is in breast milk, and it's so important, adults should be eating colostrum. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have colostrum, but the logic, just because you know babies get it in breast milk, does not mean that we should be eating it that way. Or, back to the point, that we should have only a plant-based diet because the oldest skeleton of human beings seems to show that. Maybe they'll find an even earlier older one that all they ate were meat. So this paleo diet nonsense, and I always thought it was nonsense, is ridiculous. There was no one way that early humans ate. Human beings that lived towards the shoreline, or on the shoreline, ate a lot more fish than those that lived further inland. And those humans that, early humanoids that ate more fish, had larger brains because of the omega-3 fatty acids in the fish and they were smarter and then they did things differently and then they interbred with the early hominoids uh, that lived further inland and then we're talking about all over the the planet where early hominoids lived in all kinds of places with varying uh, availabilities of food sources. So to say that, you know, there was a paleo diet is one of the biggest scams up there with CBD oil I've ever heard. That doesn't mean there's some, that there isn't some good information in there, but the only way you're gonna cut through the morass of silliness and misinformation is to have a healthcare provider that that is conscientious of these problems and does their research on your behalf to figure out what you actually need today. And in addition, this is key everyone, That practitioner has to test your chemistries and interview you and give you repeated questionnaires to make sure that you are actually responding to what it is you're trying to do. Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? For those of you just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald, otherwise known as The Blood Detective. My phone number, if you want to reach me to become a distance patient or uh, to let me know about a show idea, is 914 552 1-4-4-2-9-1-4-5-5-2-1-4-4-2. 1442 914-552 1442. I'm located an hour north of New York City and I do do phone distance consultations as well. The website is drmichaelwall.com. Now I'd like to explore some of the ways in which some nat- natural health care providers help people get well and whether or not these make sense or or they They produce more good than harm. So let me start off with something which you may have heard of, and it's known as hyperbaric air therapy. So what hyperbaric air therapy is, is the use of a hyperbaric chamber that the patient would sit in or lie on the ground. And it's sort of big like a tent, and it's got windows in it. And then the patient is placed under... Varying degrees of pressure per square inch, or pounds per square inch of pressure, or PSIs, for different lengths of time, depending on their health problem. There is 100% hyperbaric oxygen, and then there is ambient air hyperbaric oxygen. Now, in traditional medicine, 100% hyperbaric oxygen is approved for something like 15 or 20 or so medical conditions that are pretty extreme And the reason for that is that hyperbaric oxygen therapy, where they're feeding in 100% oxygen, has its dangers like oxygen burn and and damage to the body as well. So the benefits of the hyperbaric oxygen, we hope, outweigh the the dangers of it relative to the condition, whether it's the bends or diabetic, um, diabetic ulcers. Those are the sorts of things that would be exposed to 100% hyperbaric therapy. And then there's ambient air therapy. Now, I like ambient air therapy for every other condition that I commonly see. Everything from special needs conditions to cancers, uh, autoimmune diseases, mental-emotional disorders. Most health problems can probably benefit from ambient air because one of the characteristic causes of degeneration in humans that result in all these different health problems we talk about is the loss of ability to utilize oxygen on a cellular level. Let me say that again. Loss of ability to utilize oxygen on a cellular level. So if you're exposed to hyperbaric oxygen at, let's say, 19 to 21 percent oxygen under a pound per square inch of pressure, you are going to increase the oxygen in your blood. And because it's not 100%, there's no danger in it whatsoever. Sometimes your ears might pop, might feel like you're going up in an airplane, but that's basically it. So the benefits, in my opinion, of ambient air therapy really speak for themselves. I've had a lot of success with it, using it now for over 20 years. If you had open wounds on your legs, you would need 100% oxygen. So there is a time and a place for different variations of holistic therapies. Let's talk about another therapy I hear a lot. Intravenous vitamins. So I've worked in clinics over the years and we've delegated out hundreds of intravenous infusions over time. And I learned something about all that. Number one, I wrote the only book on IV nutrition protocols that is published in the United States for various health conditions. So I do know this area quite well. And I can tell you that a lot of practitioners just do it wrong. They give the wrong balance of nutrients in the IV bags, or they don't test the patient correctly. So for example, many of you are familiar with intravenous vitamin C, right? Okay. Well, before you get intravenous vitamin C... You need to have a specific blood test called G6PD. If you do not, if you have a, a low level of G6PD and you're exposed to intravenous vitamin C, it could actually kill you by causing hemolysis or breakdown of your red blood cells. I've had people come to me and say, Dr. Wald, I had intravenous vitamin C. I felt terrible afterwards. The doctor said I was detoxing and I checked their G6PD enzyme and they didn't have much. So they were not detoxing, they were dying. So not only does a practitioner need to check the G6PD before intravenous vitamin C, but you need to know how much vitamin C you're giving the patient, how high you're getting the blood levels. And it doesn't have anything to do with how much you give them in the IV bag. So let's say you receive 50 grams of vitamin C in an IV bag your blood may end up with something much smaller than that due to its metabolism of the vitamin C. So what a practitioner needs to do is take your vitamin C blood level in the plasma before the IV vitamin C and after. And let's say, for example, you're dealing with cancer. There's specific levels of vitamin C that kill cancer cells, and if you don't reach those levels, it's not going to work. So you'd want to measure the vitamin C blood level post IV vitamin C to make sure you're reaching the desired level of vitamin C for the particular health condition. I've seen this done possibly twice in 31 years. So, I want you to be aware of that, everyone. Also, lots of people ask me about these intravenous infusions and say, can't I just use those and not take a multivitamin or what have you? Intravenous nutrition is not meant to replace a balanced diet, or nutritional supplements. In fact, you can only give so many things in an IV. And the more things you put in an IV, the greater the risk of complications. So when you want to, or you need to bump up specific supplements for certain periods of time, then you use intravenous vitamin C if you can't do the same thing with oral levels of vitamin C or oral levels of the other nutrients. But because I found that an intelligently balanced nutritional protocol based upon questionnaires and health history and establishing goals and blood work and testing, that fixes the nutrition. So I stopped doing the, the vitamin C trips. When I come across a patient that I still feel needs them, I refer them out. But mostly I've learned over the years that they're unnecessary and they certainly are overestimated, given far more credit than what they can do. Uh, by people who just don't understand what they really mean. Now, here's another point that I get. Here's a question I'm going to read here. And it has to do with... How do you know that your supplements are really working? Let's use folic acid for a second. Folic acid is in the B vitamin family. For the most part, the only folic acid you want to take should be the methylated folic acid. That's the form of folic acid that's the most active in the body, potentially. But how do you know, just because you take it, that it's actually working? What do you think? Do you look at a blood test and say, well, the folic acid in the serum is is normal, it's even high. People have said to me, so my body must be using it, right? Wrong. First of all, if your blood level is elevated, It might be of, let's say, folic acid. That may be because your folic acid is not getting into the tissues that need it, like your thyroid or your brain or your intestinal tract, let's say. And if it's low in the blood, it could mean that you have enough nutrition in the tissues. That's why it's low in the blood. So how is one to really know? Well, you'd have to keep in mind what I just said. But also, there's something called a peripheral blood smear. That's looking at your blood under a microscope. Now, how do you know, how can you use microscopy, looking under the microscope, to tell you that your folic acid level, or your B12 level, by the way, or your vitamin C level, or your B6 level, or your vitamin E level are working well? All of those nutrients I just named, if you're deficient in them, in a cell, any cell, like the brain cell or intestinal cell, or red blood cell under the microscope your red blood cell will be larger than normal. If it's larger than normal that usually means it's deficient in one or more of all of those nutrients including folic acid that I just mentioned. So you want to take the nutrients that you need like folic acid and then you know that you have the right dose not because of the serum or plasma level that's around the cells but because the size of the red blood cell becomes normal that was previously large. That's called a functional test. Now, that is not a holistic test. That is something that every hematologist is aware of, and it is taught in every medical school and every chiropractic school. It's not taught in nutrition schools, though. I should make mention, too, that if you have serious health problems, I would suggest you see a clinical nutritionist that has the scope of practice and expertise in drawing and interpreting laboratory work. There's a good number of nutritionists out there that are using tests that certain companies allow them to do, let's say for the Krebs cycle or organic acid cycle or SpectraCell or things of that nature, which they should not be allowing nutritionists to use. With all due respect to nutritionists and dietitians, I'm a dietitian, I'm a certified clinical nutritionist, certified nutrition specialist. With those degrees and certifications, there's no laboratory work taught. I learned laboratory work in medical school, of course, but especially in chiropractic school uh, and studying on my own. So it's very careful, you must be very careful when choosing healthcare providers to choose correctly. You want to know the credentials of the healthcare provider. You don't want to simply call them up and say, how much do you charge? If some of you have chronic health problems and you're going to see a new practitioner with skills to read laboratory work, you know, if you're spending anything less than 500, well, I'd say anything less than $400 for an initial visit with someone with that level of knowledge, then there's probably no way you're seeing someone with that level of knowledge. Um, Do your homework is what I'm saying. And usually the more expensive practitioners are the better ones in general. And I know that because I've looked around at who's out there. So keep that in mind. Just like a lot of supplementation um, in stores, the more expensive products seem to be the best products. Here's a great question. It seems so basic on the surface, but it's really not. And that question is, which is asked to me a lot, is Dr. Wald, how long is it gonna take for me to respond? Then the patient will always follow that up with saying, well, I I know that everyone's individual, but can you give me any idea anyway? The answer is, I can give people an idea, usually once I discuss the details of their health problems with them, once I look at the extent of their disease issues or health problems and laboratory abnormalities, and then, make suggestions, retest the person to see their actual response. And based upon the percentage of how well they responded, you can project out in the future how long it should take to help them. So that's really the most honest answer I can give regarding that. For those of us just joining us, thank you, thank you, thank you. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. We're talking about all those questions and concerns that are just fundamental for health and healing that you're just not getting straight answers for. What is pH? Do I need to be alkaline? What's intermittent fasting? What's detoxification? What supplements should I take? What laboratory tests should I take? What therapies and natural health care are useful? So feel free to send me your questions and or show ideas at the following email. That's info at blooddetective.com. Info at dot or call me at 914. 914- Five five two one four four two. If you'd like to be a distance patient of mine or you'd like to see me face to face, the website is drmichaelwald.com or I N T M E D N Y.com. So let's get back to my earlier question about like, what therapies are available in natural healthcare that are worthwhile. And I mentioned one, which was ambient air hyperbaric oxygen, which I find fundamental for so many problems, so many problems. So I use it. And then there's things like electrodermal testing. It's a technique that involves a sensor that's placed on the skin that supposedly picks up changes in the bioimpedance of the skin, which is then associated with certain nutrient deficiencies or even acupuncture points. So that sort of evaluation folks is complete and utter nonsense and a waste of time. Yes, it's true that you can use a sensor on the skin which will pick up changes in bioimpedance of the skin. But then someone connected with the technology's development just attaches and some nutrients for example or foods or acupuncture points to those points. And there may be hundreds of them on the body. They just make them up and put them in the machine, and that's what's out, spit out there. There's nothing scientific about that, and there's nothing at all specific about varying areas on the skin which have different bioelectrical uh, frequencies. And in terms of associating those reduction in frequencies to different nutrients, it again, it's just nonsense. Personally, I need some sort of rationale uh, to put my my head around specific therapies, and that's just not one of them for a lot of reasons. Another therapy is kinesiology. So as a second-generation chiropractor who is trained in kinesiology, I even wrote a book in chiropractic school on how to memorize all the complex associations with different uh, muscles on the body when I was in school. So I certainly know it. However, I wouldn't put all my eggs in the kinesiology basket. In the the hands of of the right practitioner, kinesiology is a very useful tool. But there is a limit to what weak or strong muscles can tell us about organs. There simply is. George Goodhart was the founder of kinesiology, and I was lucky enough to meet him very briefly uh, at my school over 30 years ago. Uh, maybe 33 years ago, I think it was, he came and he lectured and then he left and then he was walking to the parking lot and I ran after him and I said, lots of things can cause weak and strong muscles. So how do we and why should we associate all of these factors, you call them, Dr. Goodhart, with weak or strong muscles? And he said, you're right, you're not supposed to. He said, I developed the system because we didn't have access to the labs. So we we developed a way, I developed a way, meaning George Goodhart did, of trying to figure that out. But he said in no way, shape or form did he ever mean that kinesiology should be an all or nothing technique and you shouldn't combine it with labs and combine it with questionnaires and combine it with physical exam and all of that stuff. So please be mindful of that. Another question I'm asked quite often is, Dr. Wald, what is the best superfood? It's a good question. First of all, what's a superfood? Well, first of all, I love the name superfood because it reminds me of Superman or Superwoman. There's something special about it. I just think it's a very logical name. So superfood is usually a powdered combination of natural compounds or foods that have been pulverized into a powder. and With herbs, for example, sometimes vitamins and minerals and all sorts of plant-based phytonutrients. And we know that the higher the content of the diet and phytonutrients, the lower the risk of a variety of diseases, dozens and dozens of diseases. So it certainly makes sense that superfoods are needed. And I certainly agree that everyone should take them, with the exception of those of you out there that shouldn't. So there are certain health problems that just don't work well with superfoods. And they are individual. Some people just can't tolerate them digestively. They just have too much gas, bloating, and cramping. they just can't do it, even at smaller doses. Other people are on certain medications that are contraindicated to some of the phytonutrients in the superfoods. But those aside, the best superfoods need to be the greatest combination of plant products. So I developed four of them. They're called Detox 1, 2, 3, and 4. I can only vouch for the superfoods that I make because I, I made them and I know they're pharmaceutical grade and they're not contaminated, etc. And most of the nutrients on the labels, I actually give you the exact amount of what you're getting. So every one of my patients practically is recommended all four of my superfoods because they cover the, the whole body in general. If someone had a neurologic problem, I might give them more of my orange-colored superfood because it has nutrients in there and phytonutrients which have a heavy emphasis on the nervous system. And then I have a purple, a red, and and an orange—I mentioned an orange already— and a green-flavored superfood, which are used for different purposes for different people. But mostly, like I mentioned, my patients are on all of them because everyone needs full-body protection. So that's my answer regarding— Superfoods. Oh, this question is great. And it is, how do I best take my nutritional supplements? Do I take them in the morning? Do I take them at night? Do I take them with food? Do I take them on an empty stomach? The answer to that question is, it depends. Some of you need a lot of nutrients, but because you have, let's say, digestive intolerance, you can't take them all. So it's up to me to prioritize those nutrients and have you take them in a way that you can tolerate them. Maybe that means eating certain foods like naturally high fat foods like avocados and raw nuts and seeds when you take your supplements so that they ease their way into your digestive tract and ease their way into your bloodstream. And others might need to take them away from foods or some of you must have them with yet other foods. So what I'm trying to say here is the way that you take your nutritional supplements has to be based upon your needs for those supplements. And then us figuring out how best and when you should take the right supplement at the right time for the right health concern and then adjusting the dose correctly based upon the right criteria. And, you know, this may sound a little complicated. You know, you have to figure out what you need or you're absorbing it as a pH, right? All that stuff. But once you do, you check your chemistries from time to time and make sure everything is working Well, and then it gets easier and easier and easier. Think of it of think of it like beginning a new workout routine, taking you know supplements correctly for the first time. And most of you are not taking your supplements correctly. You are taking either too much or too little, the wrong amounts, the wrong amounts, or the right amounts with the wrong foods. You don't time them right based on your meals. You don't time them at all based on your exercise, so or your diseases. Uh, These things need to be accounted for. And the dose, as I mentioned earlier, have to do with your absorption potential, the severity of your health problem, your tolerance of nutrition, your laboratory work, and other factors. Oh, here's a good question as I'm reading off my sheets. Probiotics, right? Everyone thinks they know how to use probiotics. They say, oh, doctor, well, I take one already. I take a probiotic. Well, what are you taking it for? Are you taking the probiotic to reduce your heart disease risk or to help your anxiety? or you're taking it to help your digestive tract to reduce your leaky gut or or help your constipation or your inflammatory bowel disease. Different probiotics have completely different combinations of probiotics. There are antibacterial probiotics, there are antifungal probiotics. They're not all the same. And first of all, the antifungal probiotics like Saccharomyces boulardii, I know that's a big, big couple of words there, Saccharomyces boulardii, and other ones like lactobacillus, family of probiotics, and the bifidobacteria, family of probiotics, they are all best taken with a protein, specifically whey protein. Studies have shown if you take probiotics with whey protein, you double the yield or the potential potential health effects of the probiotics so for example if you're taking 14 billion organisms but you take it with a protein it's like you're taking 28 billion so it's very important to take your probiotics with whey protein if you have a whey issue then take it with another protein okay preferably a plant protein this is classic this question and it says Dr. Wald are foods more important than nutritional supplements well my first response to that would be why do we have to pit foods and supplements against one another? Why can't both of them be equally important? Now, having said that, if I had to choose right now whether I wanted foods to be my primary source of nutrition or nutritional supplements, I would obviously choose foods. But we all also must realize that foods may not contain the high doses of certain nutritional supplements like calcium or magnesium or or biotin or omega-3 fatty acids or folic acid that you may need for your health problem that you develop due to, let's say, genetics and or lifestyle factors like stress and weather and psychological stress. So there is a place for supplements and foods. What I tend to do is, I do a laboratory workup on a patient and if they have malabsorption, The first thing I focus on is actually the supplements, unless their diet is just so horrifically bad. But if their diet's decent on the surface, I leave that where it is for the time being. I provide the right nutritional supplements because that can help malabsorption much faster than any foods can. And after two or three weeks of that, when malabsorption is improved, and usually it only takes about two or three weeks, depending on how bad it is, then I start discussing foods because a person now has some chance in heck of actually absorbing those foods. So that's my general approach to determining whether or not foods are more important than supplements or whether they're both equally important, but the timing and use of each needs to be figured out for each individual person. And then I'll get a question like this. Dr. Wald, My doctor says that there's absolutely no evidence for the use of vitamins and minerals, and it's all a waste of time and all of that. Usually the first thought that occurs to me is, how do I even respond to that? Because the last 30 plus years, I've been reviewing the medical literature and the hundreds upon hundreds or thousands upon tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of studies that show that nutrition in the form of supplements work. So I say to the person, like I say to you, look, clearly your doctor is malinformed, or misinformed or untrained or biased or some combination of that. So have your doctor call me. They never call, by the way. Then I generally would provide my patient with some abstracts from the medical and nutrition literature on the use of the nutrients I have them on for the particular health concerns. And then the person generally says to me, Dr. Wald, how can... You show me all of these, and my doctor says that there's no evidence. And I say, the truth. Your doctor is lazy. Your doctor is biased, and clearly did not do his or her research. Assuming your doctor is intelligent and well-meaning, well, let him skate and say it's ignorance. But ignorance is bliss, maybe to the doctor who doesn't know better but ignorance is death or disease or loss of your chance to gain health again if you actually listened to your doctor. So if your doctor has a negative opinion upon any natural healthcare whatever that you're looking into, you wanna ask your doctor, how do you know this doctor? Do you have a degree in clinical nutrition? Have you studied this at all? If the answer is they have no study in nutrition or in the area of natural health care that you're asking about, that is what we call an unqualified bias, ignorant and stupid and dumb opinion. I will just say it straight out. And I challenge any of you physicians out there, and I know you're out there listening, trying to gather information to make fun of your patients. Why don't you call me? Let's do uh, an interview on my show and you can prepare all you'd like and you can ask me whatever questions you'd like and then we'll see how that goes. This is the reason why, folks, I don't get calls from doctors. Because they want to be right. If they would ever call me, that would mean there's a problem. That would mean that, well, first of all, if they actually call me, and I don't think that's happened twice in 30 years, that would be astounding. So they just don't. So when a patient says to me, Doctor, can you call my doctor because he or she really doesn't know about nutrition, and maybe you can bring them up to date, I politely will tell you, No, I cannot do that because it's a waste of my time. However, if your doctor calls me, here's my personal cell phone number, I will talk to them. Now, I'm spending a little time on this concept of your doctors potentially not believing in nutritional medicine simply because it completely can ruin your life if you listen to them. You know, when I worked for Fox uh, News for years doing nutrition expert interviews and stories, at the end of every topic I covered, they would make me say, and please consult the advice of your medical doctor before trying any of this. Until one day, I decided I wasn't going to say that because consulting your medical doctor with no training is a worthless opinion. And that was the last day I ever did a show. But that was okay, because sometimes you just got to stick to your honesty and your reality. So if your doctor is anti-something, You need to know, is that doctor qualified to give you that opinion? And if they're not, and if you're uncomfortable being their patient at that point, then you go to someone who's more supportive. Or you go to your regular medical physicians for your medical stuff. Don't expect them to know things they don't know. Don't expect them to agree with things that they do not have in their wheelhouse. Uh, Just go to them for the basic medical. And probably best to not mention what else you're doing with them. You may want to mention what you're doing with him. I can't tell you not to, but usually in my experience, it makes the situation pretty bad. Well, anyway, I'm hoping you all enjoyed these selected topics. They were great questions. Thank you all for sending them in. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Feel free to call me if you want to see me as a patient, either in person or at a distance, by calling 914-552-1442. Check out my website at drmichaelwald.com. And I'll see you all pretty soon. Bye-bye. Come out, Virginia. Don't let it wait. You Catholic girls start much too late. All but sooner or later it comes down to fate. I might as well be the one where well, they show